Welcome to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. My name is Brandon Adams, lifestyle entrepreneur and inventor, passionate about helping others with creating something great and becoming unforgettable. Each week we discuss helpful tips on becoming a successful entrepreneur and interview other entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Our goal is to help take your business and lifestyle to the next level. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brandon Adams, and on today's show, we have a patent lawyer. We have Adam Mossoff. This guy knows his stuff. He's a professor of law and co-director of academic programs and senior scholar of the Center for the Protection of Intellectual Property. He's wrote a lot of articles, and he's even actually been, he's testified before the Senate before. In this show today, we talk about the whole journey of getting a patent, how the patent system works, if you're going to get a patent or trademark. We talk about um, what you need to do, the process, what it costs, and we go into detail about the Innovation Act. It's H.R. 9, which is something that is bad for inventors. It's bad for our country. If this gets passed then it's going to weaken our patent system and it's going to hurt young entrepreneurs and inventors for taking their idea to market. And we talk about what you can do to help stop this, make it so this does not go through. And I've myself have been active. I wrote a letter to Senator Grassley. I've uh, spoke on it and I'm I'm very dedicated to make sure this does not go through because I want to protect other inventors out there like me. So there's a lot of great material in today's show. If you have an idea for a product or you want to get a patent or trademark or just thought about doing it, this will give you all the information you need to take you to that next step if you're going to actually go forward with it. So before we get into today's show, I want to do a shout out to our sponsor, Arctic Stick. Arctic Stick is a brand new product. It allows you to both cool and flavor your bottled beverage. You simply pop the top, fill full your desired liquid and freeze. You can drop into your drink to keep it colder longer, or you simply just twist it, drop in, you get a flavor burst. Easy as that. Now, I like to work out a lot every day. I use this when I go to the gym. It keeps my drink colder longer. Or, you know what? On my leisure time, I like to have fun sometimes, and you can fill this full of an alcohol shot. And you go on the river, wherever you go, have a six-pack of these. You pop the top, take a shot. Easy as that. It's an awesome product. Check out everything at Arctic Stick. It's Their website is www.arcticstick. That's arcticstick.com. I'm excited. Let's jump into today's show with Adam Mossoff. Let's learn how you get a patent for your idea and take it on the market. Let's get started. Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brandon Adams, and on today's show, we have one of the top patent lawyers in the country. We have Adam Mossoff. Adam, how you doing, buddy? Great, great. And thank you for having me, uh, Brandon. I'm really excited to be here today. Oh, hey, man, I'm excited too. There's a lot that we can talk about, and I'm going to jump right into it because with everything going on in the legislation and the controversy right now, I want to hear all about it. Before we get started, I want to hear about where you got started in uh, schooling and what, as a kid, what made you want to become a patent lawyer and how it led to where you are today. Well, thank you. It's a great question. Um, it's something that I uh, I always talk about with my students, if, not, if only to establish my uh, my street cred with them, given that um, that I am now uh, old beyond my years, especially relative to inventors such as uh, yourself and uh, the high tech uh, kids today. So, um, um, I I I started as a tech geek in the 1980s. Um, I I tell my students that I was chiseling code by hand on stone tablets when they were all babes in diapers, and um, <laughs> um, and th- and I had a very kind student about a year or two ago tell me actually that was it's actually true he was wearing diapers and I, <laughs> I thanked him and, and noted that yes my hair was a little grayer than it has been in the past um and so um but of course i also love uh um 
broad ideas about how we should, um, how we best protect new inventions. I love property. Um, something I've been very interested in from the very, uh, from also from a very young age. And so when I was thinking about kind of where I wanted to go with my life, I wanted to be a scholar. I wanted to be engaged in um, the issues that pertain to how we best define and protect property rights in our country and particularly property rights in in new inventions and new creative works. I thought, you know, I really wanted to go into intellectual property. And and of course, being a tech geek, I thought patent law was the best place for me to be. And, and, and I just loved it. It's, 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 it's been a, it's been a great ride, and I'm looking forward to the coming years. It's something that you know, it, unlike other areas of law, it, it constantly changes. I mean, and 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 for the good because there's constantly new innovation that's having to be secured and created and raises all, lots oh, of interesting questions. Oh, exactly. I mean, there's a lot going on, and just to give uh, listeners out there just kind of idea, let's talk about patents in America. Can you just give me a brief history of the patent system and kind of explain how it works? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Brief, a brief history of the patent system. So let me cover about three or four hundred years in about five minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so the so patents um, uh, first began in, in in England about three or four hundred years ago. They were privilege grants by the by the by the crown. They were monopoly grants um, that the the king handed out as essentially to the king's favored recipients to have uh, commercial monopolies. But starting in the 18th century, particularly under the influence of John Locke and other notions about what it means to have the rights to life, liberty, and property, and that one engages in kind of creative, productive labor to invent something or to create a farm. Um, The concept of patents really changed, and it really uh, was converted, and particularly by um, American thinkers, because we broke with the English, and this was one of the issues that we broke with them on, was that we said, no, patents aren't these special privilege grants by the government, their property rights that are secured to people who invent something, who create something new through their intellectual productive labors, and they should be secured in the fruits of those labors. Um, and so in the United States, starting from the get-go, it's in the Constitution. Uh, Congress has the authority in Article One, Section 8, Clause 8 to protect patents and copyrights, and, and it was some of the very first laws that, that Congress enacted in 1790 after our country started under the new Constitution, uh-huh. um, the patent and copyright laws, and, and, and these laws have been in place since then. And um, and it was a uniquely American approach that we said, no, these are property rights. These are rights that are that are justly secured to first inventor, someone who comes up with something. And as a property right, it means that you can go into the marketplace and commercialize it by either licensing it to other people or manufacturing yourself or selling the patent outright. And lots of really great economists um, like Zarina Khan and others have really done some really great work identifying how um, property rights and innovation patents were the driver of America's innovation economy from the get-go, how the patents and patent inventions and the cotton gin and the, the wood lace and sewing machines and airplanes and radio and light bulbs and lasers and everything from the 19th century up to today um, have really been drivers of the incredible economic growth that, you know, that has been the hallmark of America's innovation economy. Uh, yeah, the in- inventors today, I mean, Thomas Edison's and everybody, I mean, it's what has built our country. And it's so important. And me as an inventor myself, I'll soon have a patent. I have three trademarks. But I want to ask you this. For people out there, why? explain to them why patents are important for an inventors and entrepreneurs. Patents are, are extremely important for inventors um, and entrepreneurs um, for a variety of reasons. Um, the first, of course, is that you know typically a, an invention, a new innovative uh, idea um, is disruptive. It's disruptive to existing um, business models, to existing ways of doing commerce, um, to existing um, uh, technology. And so the patent gives the inventor the protection, the legal protection necessary to go out into the market and to challenge the big incumbents, to take on those large established companies whose business models are threatened by this new innovation by saying, I can take you on because I have a property right in this, and I can therefore transact with people comfortably, securely, and I can get funding. Venture capitalists uh, repeatedly and often identify patents because they're property rights as the key basis by which they will decide whether to invest the 
thousands, if not billions of dollars necessary to bring a product to market. And we see this every day um, for anyone who watches Shark Tank. I was <laughs> just going to say that, yeah. Yes, knows that the very first question they ask is, "Do you have a patent on this?" And um, and so uh, and and that's because it's the, it's that exclusive right, right? It's the right to determine how something will be used, the ability to enter into those exclusive contracts, and 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 to obtain financing that forms the basis of all commercial activity. Something I teach my students in law school right, is that the the subject matter of contracts is property. You can't have contracts without property rights, and that's why having a property right in an invention is the foundation for engaging in commercial activity. And this is why it's so key for um, individual inventors, entrepreneurs, startup companies, um, that they have these secure property rights that's, that protect them in the type and their innovation such that they can go into the marketplace and commercialize it. And they can sue people for infringing it because that's the other concern always is that if it is disruptive, if it is radical, it's going to be very valuable and others will want to copy it and will want to try to steal it. And it being a property right also gives you the ability to go after them and say no and sue them for infringement and stop them and or get damages. Now, let's go into that. Now, you're saying if somebody invents a product. So, for example, me, I take my product to market. And the the rule of thumb is if you got a lot of money coming in, the other people are jump on board and they're going to try to get a piece of the pie. So what about a small inventor that isn't a huge company with not a lot of financial income? How do they take on a huge company that comes in, takes their idea, and goes with it and holds them in court during the process? Tell me about that. Right, right. So um, historically and up to today, there's lots of different avenues of relief for for undercapitalized individual inventors and entrepreneurs and startups. Um, starting in the 19th century, people recognized, individual inventors recognized I don't have a lot of money. I'm starting out, and sometimes they were destitute and poor, like Elias Howe, who was a patent owner for the uh, for um, a component of the sewing machine. When he discovered that other people were infringing his patent, he was actually completely poor. And so, what he did was he got an investor who paid him money so yeah. that he could actually file his lawsuit. So, one of the ways that you can um, you that one of the ways that the market has stepped up for individual inventors is that. Is that because these are property rights, they, they can be collateral for um, for for funding for investments, um, and so you know you can reach out to third parties who would be willing to finance um, a lawsuit for perhaps a, a piece of the uh, the percentage of your of of your of your damages award. Um, also, you can license your your you know, or transfer your patents to um, to other entities. Again, this has been something that has existed for hundreds of years, so it's nothing new. Um, there are tons of companies that recognize that we actually have the ex- expertise in the marketplace. Um, you know, we're, we're the patent lawyers. We're the business persons. We really know how to litigate and to negotiate deals. You're an individual inventor, um, so let's make a deal where we'll do all of this for you, for and, we'll, and you will also get a percentage of, of what we get for you. Um, uh, and the other is uh, the other option, of course, is to then is to engage in these activities yourself. Um, you know, so there's lots of different options that you have in the marketplace um, in terms of using either specialists, getting investors, or doing it yourself. Um, but For- these are these are very hard choices, and um, and it really you know, and the reason why all these options exist is because you really have to figure out which one is the one that's best for you. So, from your own experiences. Tell me about an incident where you've had somebody invent a product and a big company came in and actually tried to take their idea. Have you been in a position where you've helped them fight them in court? No, I, I, I haven't had any of those instances, uh, worked in any of those contacts. Do, do you um, know but any? I, but I know, yes, I mean, it's a very common story. Uh, yeah. It's a very, I mean, it's, in fact, it's it's much more common than people even realize it. Um, in fact, there was a whole movie made out of it called A Flash of Genius, where the inventor of the intermittent windshield wiper um, technology, which was something that the automobile companies had been working on for years and could not figure out, and this guy figured that out all by himself on his own. And then he, you know, he went to Ford and said, Hey, I, you know, I, I've invented this thing. I want to manufacture it and sell it to you. And they said, great, well, let us see it. So we understand what it is so that we can understand 
you know, whether we should pay you for it. And then they, and then a couple of weeks later they said, we're not interested. And then he did. And then a couple of months later, he discovered that they had copied his invention wow. and, and put it in all these cars. And it took him decades of suing Ford and Mercedes and, and General Motors and all the companies who then just, just started to infringe his patent um, before he, he was able to succeed and hold them accountable for this massive infringement. Um, and it really is a, it's kind of a, it's, it, as I said, they made a movie out of it called The Flash of Genius um, with Greg Kinnear. It's, a, it's an okay movie, but the important point of the movie is, is I think it, it tells the story of what is a very commonplace occurrence that I hear from um, individual inventors all the time, which is I come up with this great invention. I go and talk to the large company about whether we should enter into a commercial deal where they would incorporate it into their existing mod, um, business model. They eventually tell me no, and that's only because they've stolen it from me. Exactly, and that's and, a lot of people, yeah. they're afraid. Inventors, some have these ideas, and they're afraid to tell people because that certain circumstance, they're afraid some big company is going to come in, take their idea, and they're going to lose out on all that money, which, right. I, I mean, right. you, you got to look in the inventor's shoes. I mean, I look at that as well. I mean, you, you need to move forward, and you need to make progress, but a company can do that, but it's good to know that there is resources out there to help fight that. So. Right. Well, right. Tell me financial, which I've I've spent thousands of dollars. What does it take if somebody wants to go from start to finish to get a patent? Kind of explain the process and what it costs, and then also for a trademark as well. Well, it it, it varies from technology to technology. Um, so, um, applying for a patent can be extremely expensive <laughs> if it yeah. uh, if. If you are working, for instance, in the um, in the biotech or pharmaceutical industries, where you've come up with, you know, you've found a new molecule, and it's just a, and and, um, and it involves a very high level of, of of scientific knowledge and expertise to figure these things out, and to assess what you know what makes it new and what makes it patentable, um, especially with the changes in laws in recent years. Um, you know, if you come up with a business method or or, or something in, in the high tech context, it's a little it's less expensive, but it can range in thousands of dollars to eventually go through the entire application process. Um, it can also, you know, varies in time. Um, some, uh, some patents take a very, very long time to go through the patent application process. It's called patent prosecution, yeah. um, uh, which is just the, the fancy term for saying we're applying for a patent. Um, so it really depends on the nature of the invention and the technology area in which you're working. Um, it can range from thousands to tens of thousands, <laughs> or it can range, and it can range from, you know, several months to uh, to sometimes it takes you know three four five ten years <laughs> on average um, isn't it two to three years for a patent to go through or um, on a, um, the a, the average pendency if you average it all out is about one and a half to two years yeah um, but but that's but that's but um, but that's an average of what is ultimately hundreds of thousands of patents at issue every year, and um, I mean so for instance just to give you a sense of how many patents issue every year, um, last year uh, um, you know the U.S. Patent Office issued three hundred thousand patents. Wow. Um, and so, and 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 what they found when you actually break out that um, the actual numbers, they, it's not a it's not a bell it's not a bell curve. Um, it, it's more of what we what we'd say in statistics is a bimodal distribution. So that there are a lot of patents that issue fairly quickly, and then there are a lot of patents that take a very very long time uh, to issue. And so when you average them out, it's one and a half to two years. But it's but it it really depends in which of those two categories you fall. And it's and it's very hard to make. That assessment. And most times too, when you submit for your patent, and at least in my instance, the first time almost always they turn it down and they find a reason wrong with it. And for me, the second time around is when they actually accepted it. But is that just for me, it feels like it's a money game or why why is it that most times it's turned down the first time? Yeah, it's it, that, that's a really interesting question. So, so, uh, so for those of for those in your audience who don't know, so you apply for a patent, and we go through what's called an examination process. Yes. Um, so the examination process, where there are various requirements for determining whether a patent is legitimate or not. So you, the invention has to be new. Um, so there can't there can't have been any 
prior inventions just like the invention that you're claiming in your in your patent application. The invention has to be useful, so it can't just be some sort of abstract notion. It has to be something that actually applies in the real world. You have to really fully disclose it. You have to show that you actually have come up with this invention, and you have to and and someone has to be able to read your patent who is skilled in that field of technology and be able to replicate it from having read your invention. Because once your patent goes off term after um, after the cop, uh, after the patent term of 20 years. Um, people need to be able to make the invention freely because by then it's in the public domain and they do so from reading your, your, your patent. Um, and, and also the patent has to be non-obvious, which, which is a very, very naughty area of patent law. I won't get into the details of it. but So the, so the job of the examiner at the patent office is to try to determine if this is a legitimate invention that should be patented according to these various requirements for getting a patent. And why... Uh, you know, you get initial rejection. Well, one, one, you know, one kind of generalized observation of why it happens is that, you know, the examiner, the job of the examiner is to, is to ensure that it's a patentable invention. And how else does an examiner show to his or her manager that they're doing this exactly. outside of the fact of saying, hey, I actually did all of these initial rejections based upon the finding that they didn't meet one of these four primary requirements for obtaining a patent. So there's sort of institutional pressure internally for, for, for doing that, yes. um, just as a matter of uh, kind of how the institution functions as a real-world institution. Um, and um, uh, the uh, the other and, and um, the other the other uh, the other uh, other reasons could be that um, <clears throat> that uh, it, you know it's not it, it's really through this kind of give and take process between the the the, um, the lawyer or the patent agent who is who is who is interacting with the patent office and the patent examiner that that you really get to what is the crux of the invention. I um, mean something very similar happens between the inventor and the patent lawyer itself. Um, you know, patent lawyers often will say that we play an important role in figuring out what the invention is exactly. by our exchanges and discussions with the inventor and getting it down into, on paper as to what was the actual invention. And then the similar process occurs again in the exchanges and interactions between the, the patent lawyer and, and the examining agent at the patent office. Yeah, I, now, you have a similar. You also asked about trademarks. There's a similar kind of examination process for trademarks, but trademarks, because they're words and not inventions, have different requirements, um, and uh, it's not as lengthy and it's not as expensive usually. Um, but um, but it's but still, and you don't have to register a trademark in the way that you have to register a patent if you want protection. Um, you can just use a mark. Um, as a, um, you know, you can use your logo or your symbol, and it's, as long as you're using it and um, and it's re and it and it relates to a particular product or service being sold in the market, then you will get what's called common law protection. Yeah, I mean, it, it um, is a lot simpler. I, I mean, I have three trademarks, and what I did for my product, Arctic Stick, I had Arctic Stick two words separate. I had Arctic Stick as one word, and then also I did the design, my actual logo to protect myself, but you want to make sure mm -hmm. you have that. But it, I mean, I got three trademarks within the last three years, so it didn't take long for that. But the, the right. whole patent process is what takes more time. Right, right. It's much harder to determine what is a what is a new, useful, fully disclosed mm -hmm. and not a non-obvious invention than it is to figure out has this trademark uh, is this trademark basically new and distinctive <laughs> exactly. uh, relative to other words and logos? Um, and and there are benefits that come from registering trademarks um, federally. So I don't want to imply that people shouldn't register them because there's a re people register them because you do get various benefits. What would be uh, the main that. benefits but out there? Well, one of the benefits is because trademarks are examined, just like patent applications are, then they're presumed to be valid when if you have to sue someone for trademark infringement. Um, so you don't have to prove that it's a valid trademark affirmatively if you sue someone for trademark infringement if you have actually a registered trademark. But if you don't, but if you have a, a trademark that's protected simply because you've been using it. As, as it relates to a product or service in the marketplace, then one of the requirements when you if, if you do have to sue someone for infringement is that you actually have to affirmatively prove that it's a valid trademark. Well, that makes sense. I uh, yeah. I want to jump into. There's a lot of controversy going on. Can you explain if nobody, if people out there don't understand the legislation currently going through Congress, the Innovation Act? Um, tell me what's going on. What are they trying to get past that's going to affect inventors? 
great question. Um, you know, patents and um, and and and, um, and patent innovation have really taken center stage, um, kind of in the public's mind and the and, and in the broader kind of public policy debates, um, in a way that they really haven't for many many decades. Um, as a result, and uh, it largely as a result of this very extensive lobbying effort that has been occurring in Washington, D.C., and through supportive efforts by the companies that are lobbying by pushing op-eds and pushing academic research and things of that sort to try to show why this legislation is necessary. You, you referred to one of the laws, the Innovation Act. I don't like to call it that because it's very Orwellian. It's, it, it, it's, it's actually anti-innovation. So yeah. I just prefer to call it by its, its legal de- de- uh, title, which is H.R. 9, House Resolution 9. Um, there's also the, uh, the Strong Patent Act in the Senate. Um, uh, a new legislation was just introduced last week, the, the Patent Act, which is in the Senate, which is distinct from the Strong Patent Act. Um, there's also the Troll Act, which was recently um, introduced um, a couple weeks ago. So um, it's a, there's a lot of legislation and a lot of fervor right now um, in D.C. And in fact, I wouldn't even call it fervor. I would call it a moral panic. Yeah. <laughs> there's a moral panic in Washington, D.C. right now about the patent system and about the innovation economy and the role that patents play in the innovation economy. And it's largely a byproduct of um, a substantial number of very wealthy companies, most of them are, are, are high-tech companies, who don't have business models that rely upon patents. Exactly. Um, and as a result of that, um, as a result of that, they, they're not, they, they themselves, these companies, are not creating content. They are companies that are pass-throughs to other people's content. Um, so these are social media companies and search engines and things of that sort where for them and their business models, the easier it is to access other people's content and other people's ideas and other people's technology, the more money they make. And so they see patents as an impediment to what they're trying to do. Now, it's really unfortunate that they've decided to flex their extensive amount of money um, by coming to uh, Washington, D.C. to try to pass legislation to thus weaken patents and weaken the patent system. Um, so it's killing us. Really should be doing. It's killing. It, it's really hurting us small inventors is what it's doing. Right. So so what they've done is, the, is that they have chosen um, to weaken patents not directly because that would be too obvious. So they've created, first of all, this horrible story, this horrible myth of a thing that they call by the epithet patent troll. Oh, there's all of these awful people out there, awful companies that have bad patents, and all they do is sue legitimate companies on the basis, uh, you know, on the basis of these bad patents in order to to prevent innovation from occurring, in order to be a so-called tax on on on, on innovative work. Um, and that it's and it's largely a story. Yes, I mean there are some bad actors in 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 in, in the innovation economy, but there's bad actors in every area of the economy. There's bad actors in in commercial law. There's bad actors. I exactly. mean, why we have criminal law? Um, and just because a couple people commit murder doesn't mean we're all murderers. Um, and yet they've used a couple bad actors. And as like I said, you know, three hundred thousand patents issued from the U.S. Patent Office every year. You know, there are you know. You know, over 3,000 patent lawsuits filed, and you know, so they've identified maybe five or six or even ten bad actors in the system, um, and yet they, you know, they, you know, that's a that's an error rate that I think that anyone would be happy to accept in any context. Exactly. Um, and yet they've been able to leverage that mm. to create this kind of myth that oh no, this is a huge problem. Because why? Because at the end of the day, their their real interest is not addressing these bad actors. Their real interest is is weakening patents and undermining the patent system. Because in their minds, it stands in the way of what they want to implement, making their money um, as pass-throughs to uh, to other people's technology and ideas. And so they make it harder to enforce your patents. They make it harder to license your patents. And as a result of that. The increasing costs and burdens and bringing lawsuits and holding people accountable, it makes it easier for them to infringe, and it makes it harder to license because then people you go to license say, well, I know that you know it's harder for you to enforce your patent if I infringe, and so I'm going to discount the the license rate or the or the or the payments that I'm going to make to you as a result of that. Well, what really, this is it, doing is scaring. It's discouraging young inventors out there, young entrepreneurs, anybody. And, you know, we are the people, the backbone of this country, and this act, this, what they want to get through is going to hurt us and really stop us from 
building great things. I mean, right? Do you well, agree with what me? They're doing, oh, 100%, because what they're doing is making it more expensive to enforce your patents and more expensive to actually take a patent into the marketplace. Now, who are the people who are most sensitive to increasing the cost of enforcing and, and, and licensing patents? It's the individual inventors, it's the startups, it's the entrepreneurs, it's the universities, it's all of the people who are the source of the new innovative technology that is created in this exactly. country. Exactly. You know, you know, you know. Google probably spends more money on coffee each year than than you know than many individual inventors and smart startups <laughs> spend on actually producing products and services. It's so true. Um, yeah. And and so to them, you know, this is just you know, of course they can absorb these costs. They don't care. But the people, you know, who really need to be able to be able to enforce their patents, be able to license their patents, who are very, you know, don't have a lot of money, or the ability to try to get investors. So the venture capitalists are saying this is a real problem um, because it makes it harder for them to to make the, the investment decisions. And you're right. This this so this is going to kill the very the very sources of innovation in this country. I, I really, I, I'm very frustrated with it. I even sent a letter to Senator Grassley about this because for me as an inventor, if I wanted to get investment or anything else, it, this hurts me as an inventor. Yes. It hurts me yes. being able to go out and get the necessary money for my project and all around it's bad. So Right, right. You know, and I th the key is, and so, the, I mean, so it, for, for, for you and for your listeners who are interested in, you know, communicating with your congresspersons and with other people about this, the key is, is that, you know, this is not about abuse of courts and abuse of the litigation system. That's a myth. This is about weakening property rights and innovation. This is about weakening the very foundations of what it has made the United the America's innovation economy work for the past two hundred and some odd years. Because um and you know, if we can just continue to remind people that this is what it's about. They are undermining the very foundations of what the United States innovation economy is, which is the ability of small inventors such as yourself, Brandon, and others, yeah. universities, startups to come up with new inventions and to bring those inventions to market, we're not going to have the amazing technology that we have now in 15, 20, or 30 years because it, 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 because they will made it impossible for people to actually create those, that in, innovation. So, you know, but unfortunately, you know, the, 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 the lobbying companies and, the, and, 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 and others have really created this myth that it's about abuse of the, past, of the litigation system. It's abuse of the court system. And so they've captured people like, like Senator Grassley um, who thinks, oh, yeah, this is about tort reform, and it's not. This is about property rights and about protecting property rights and innovation. So what can we do, listeners out there, if they want to help support and get this so they can protect their own patents and make sure this bill doesn't go through, what can they do to get involved? What can they right. do? Right. That, that's a great question because, you know, you lack, of course, the billions of dollars to throw at this that larger companies like Google and Cisco and others have. Um, and, um, and you know, in the, what makes it harder for individual inventors to come up with money is that they lack the money or the yeah. time because you're busy, you're busy making your inventions. Exactly. Um, you don't have time to go to, Congress, to, go to Washington, D.C. and speak with your representatives. So um, my, I'll my do recommendation... It. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go right well, now awesome. if I have you to. You can do it, but so many, you know, I, I've talked with so many inventors and they're so like, I just don't have the time. You know, and it's understandable. I mean, we have our we have our lives to live. We have our careers to run. So, um, you know, is is you know, support the people who are willing to do it, such as yourself. But um, but there are organizations like Edison Nation, which is a re which is a association that represents small inventors, um, and um, or other organizations like the Innovation Alliance. Um, support those organizations and their efforts to represent and defend. Um, small inventors and startup companies and, um, um, and entrepreneurs more generally who rely upon patents, um, you know, write to your, but definitely, you know, to the extent that you can write to your congressmen, you know, and remind them about yeah. the importance of protecting inventions Say this is going to hurt me. I am a, I am not just a, a voter, but I am also someone who contributes to the innovation economy, to helping create economic growth and jobs in this country. And you are going to be hurting me. 
um, if you support this legislation. Um, but you know, but the but I think the more important point is to take advantage of specialization, divisional labor, take advantage of the organizations that have been created to help focus all of the disparate voices out there who are spread out yeah. and are undercapitalized by bringing these voices together in one place and giving them the type of megaphone they need in DC to counteract a larger megaphones by these by the established companies who are lobbying against you See, so like I said there's great organizations like the Innovation Alliance and um, and Edison Nation among others well I'll tell you what Adam I mean I'm the kind of person I stand for what I believe in and if I had the opportunity I would go to Washington I don't care I if I have to speak in front of millions of people I will stand up for this because I've spent three years developing a product and getting my patent and spend a lot of time, heartache and money. If this would go through and affect me, I, I mean, that really ticks me off. So yeah, yeah. I'm the kind of guy that will do that. I mean, right. Well, that's, I, I, I love your passion and, you know, we need more people who are passionate like you are, who can engage and be willing to speak. But also, I also recognize the the reality of it is that people need to like support their families and they do to engage in the work that they need to engage in in order to live their lives and, and be flourishing and happy and to, and exactly. to contribute to the American economy, innovation economy. And so, you know, but you're right. I mean, you, you know, you're, you got, you and your fellow inventors are follow in a incredible line of great innovators, the people who have made our lives possible in the United States and across the world, right? Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla um, and, you know, Charles Goodyear. And as I mentioned earlier, Elias Howe and, and many, 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 many others, countless others who, who came up with innovative work on their own, challenge, you know, exactly. uh, challenging existing companies, got patents, and were, and were and licensed those patents in the marketplace. A lot of these people did not manufacture, and they would be called trolls today. Um, and, you know, and, and so we need to recognize that not only are the Ameri- young, you know, new innovators who are making the next great products and services possible being hurt by this, but we are smearing all the great American innovators who, who used the patent system to drive the innovation economy up until this very day. I mean, you take a look around wherever you're at, in your home, in your vehicle, look at the products you have, the things you use every day, and even for the big companies, at one time, you look at like Steve Jobs or anybody, at one time they were a small inventor that had an idea and they pursued it. And it turned into something that made our lives better. So if you discourage that, you're taking away our future and everything we stand for and everything we want to build. So I now in yeah, this yeah. In, in this act, so tell me, is this the first patent legislation of its kind or have they been others that they've tried to do? Well, there's been others. I mean, so, um, you know, there were aspects of the American Vents Act that was passed um, just four years ago in 2011 that were very, very bad. Um, you know, was I, that the IA, I I, uh, or AIA? AIA goes by, yeah, the acronym AIA stands for the American Vents Act. Um, uh, 2011, you know, for instance, the shift of wit to first to file from first to invent, which has been a uniquely part of the American patent system from the, from the, from the get-go. Yeah. Um, as well as the creation um, at the patent office of all of these um, review administrative review programs for attacking patents, which have been incredibly abused and have been incredibly anti-patent um, in their in in their application. Um, you know the the kill rate for patents going to go, that are put through these various uh, review programs um, ranges anywhere from 85 to 100 percent. Um, I mean, that it's just it's unbelievable the destruction of innovation that is occurring at these programs, and also people are abusing them. So, for instance, there's this uh, hedge fund manager Kyle Bass, yeah. who's been going, who's been um, short short selling stocks in biotech companies, and then filing, um, you know, reviews at these administrative review programs. And then the stocks dropped 20 or 30 percent in value in a day as a result of him filing these attacks on the patents because of people are aware of how bad these review programs are. And then, you know, because he short sells, he makes billions of dollars <laughs> off of this. He has, no, he has no real interest in invalidating the patent. He just wants to make his quick buck on the stock market. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and yet this was, this was totally 
there's nothing in the American Vents Act that said that this was wrong, that people shouldn't have been able to do this. Um, he's not violating any law, patent law. He's not violating any securities law. Um, and, and, and so this is causing just, you know, inordinate amounts of destruction in the innovation economy, both in the high-tech sector and in the biopharmaceutical sector. Well, I want to spend, we got about, I don't know, 12 minutes here. I want to spend the last 12 minutes asking some questions I have from the viewers they wanted to hear and then also for me personally. So tell me one of the oddest products that you have patented before and how, what product it was and that made a lot of money that actually became successful because you know there's a lot of patents out there, products that go nowhere. But tell me about an odd one that actually made a lot of money. Oh well, I'm not. I, I haven't. I haven't patented a product myself. Um, but the. Um, um, I mean, because I did. I did work and have done work in patent litigation. Um, yes. You know, we specialize in the law between litigation and patent application or patent prosecution, as we say. Um, and so I, I did the litigation side. But the. Um, but I mean, but the. You know, it's the, some of the most amazing stories about you know, about patent innovation. Are the ones that people don't even realize. So, for instance, the story that I love to tell is about dis uh, disposable diapers. Um, people don't realize that there is an incredible amount of patent innovation in disposable diapers, and in fact, it led to what was known in patent law circles in the 1980s as the diaper wars. Um, uh -huh. I mean, it was a patent war between Procter and Gamble and, and and all the various companies making these because there was extensive amount of patenting of the new technology because diapers for anyone who has children's knows diapers are an extremely incredibly important innovation oh, I know. Uh, special disposable diapers as opposed to cloth diapers you don't have to spend your time washing them and dealing with them and um it's an ex it's a multi-billion dollar industry um so these patents are worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars um and um and and it's a great example i think that people are just unaware of how patents underlie even some of the most mundane messy <laughs> uh, um, products that we use, uh, you know, and that we don't even think very much about, but nonetheless were brought to us by the patent system, such as disposable diapers. But, you know, but there's also other great examples. The Super, so the super Soaker water gun is yeah. another great story from the 1980s that was, you know, this guy invented it, this individual inventor invented it. This was a, you know, there, there have been zero progress in, in squirt guns, water, water guns, uh, for decades. You know, they were just these basic, you know, plastic things that you pulled the trigger and a little squirt came out and you know and he kind of came up with the idea of having a big tank and being able to shoot a lot of water at once it was massively revolutionary i mean it's still the primary you know squirt gun device now oh, it's awesome. decades later that that children love to play with and <laughs> um and yet and he got a patent on it and by the way he didn't manufacture it he was like i'm just an inventor i know my skill set is not manufacturing or commerce and he licensed it to all of the other toy companies for them to to um to manufacture it. I mean, and there's, there's tons of other examples of this, of just, you know, a lot of people think of patents, they think of, oh, like our smartphones and, you know, the latest incredible biotech discovery, which is true. Yeah. But it's also just as true that patents underlie some of the most mundane, accepted products and services that we use in our day-to-day -day lives and which make our lives that in, that much, much more better, whether for our children or for parents. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not all complex. Some can be as... I mean, just simple as a door swinging or, I mean, any little thing that has a way that's unique, there can be a patent mm -hmm. on it. Right, right. And in fact, much of our invention is inc is what we call incremental invention. So most inventions are not like the, you know, the, the great leaps forward, like the iPhone or the telephone yeah. or the airplane or the integrated circuit in 1959, the foundation of our entire digital revolution. I mean... That's why those inventions stand out. That's why we know those. But a lot of, but there's, uh, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of inventions that occur in the ensuing years that are built on top of those pioneering inventions that are inventions, are important inventions themselves nonetheless. Um, you know, and the, 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 the super soaker, right? Squirt guns have been around for a long time. It wasn't just huge radical leap forward to have a, a different type of squirt gun. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was an important, innovative step forward for children the world over. And same with, you know, diapers. Your diapers have been around, even disposable diapers have been around for, 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 you know, for decades before the 1980s. But, but there were incredible leaps forward in some of the technology at that point that were incremental, but 
incremental in terms of the technological step, but nonetheless massive in terms of their effect upon our lives. Well, and pe- that's exactly what the patent system is supposed pe- to be for. People see a product and they see something that it doesn't have or how it can be better, and they form their perfect idea of the product and then get patented. So these ideas, most ideas are thought up already, but they just make it a lot easier for consumers, a lot better. Right, right. And that's exactly why the patent system exists, is to get that idea to the market. That's why property rights exist. It's not just about, you know, oh, dangling the carrot in front of the inventor so that you have the incentive to invent. That's kind of the, a lot of a lot of people understand the patent systems for. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But the other part of it is is also to bridge the gap from invention to actual product or service in the marketplace because that requires venture capitalists, that requires manufacturers, that requires commercial capitalists to set up distribution chains and supply chains and, and contracts with retailers and wholesalers and bring the whole system of the free enterprise to bear. And that's a very complex activity that requires a lot of contracts, a lot of expertise, and that's why property rights are key. And that's what is enabling for individual inventors such as yourself and the listeners of your program. Last couple questions I want to ask you. First off, what would be your top three books on anything with inventing intellectual property or anything with innovation? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I love reading books about inventors and innovators. Um, <clears throat> I've learned so much about what what invention what the activity of invention is about and how it occurs and how the patent system has worked from reading books. I actually have a blog posting called Some Recommended Books on Scientists, Inventors, and Innovators, um, where I list about 20 or 30 books that I've read. But um, three books that really kind of stand out in my mind is ones that have just really impressed me. Um, they're historical books, and they're part of this kind of, uh, mostly part of this new kind of um, nonfiction narrative history, telling stories about uh, nonfiction stories, but in a narrative way that really is compelling. Yeah. So one's called one is by an author, William Rosen. It's published in 2012. It's a book called "The Most Powerful Idea in the World: A Story of Steam, Industry, and Invention," and it's about, of course, um, the the in, the invention of the steam engine. Yeah. Um, in the 18th century, um, and you know all the science and technology and commercial expertise that went into it, and that came out of it on the back end as well, and the important role that the patent system played in all of that, um, in driving it and making it possible. Um, another really great book that I've that I've loved is a book by a historian of technology called Harold Evans. It's a book called They Made America. It was published in 2004, and it just has these. Each chapter is on a different inventor from the 19th century all the way up till today, um, a different inventor, innovator. Nice. And they're great. They're great stories that convey exactly what does it mean again to invent and for people to use the patent system. <clears throat> and then another really impressive story, book that I really enjoyed is a uh, is a book by uh, author T. R. Reed called The Chip: How Two Americans Invented the Microchip and Launched a Revolution. And it's about um, the invention, of course, of the integrated circuit in 1959, which is the basis of our entire digital revolution to this very day. Um, and again, it involves the patent system and involves. It, it's a really great story of innovators and how they've created this new innovation, the problems that they were addressing and, and, and follow-on innovation that follow from it. But those are just three um, that I really, really enjoy. There are lots of really great books about in, inventors and innovators. Um, it's harder to find good, readable, accessible books about the patent system. Yeah. Um, and um, t- typically those are written for lawyers and other types of, of specialists. Um, but um, but I did I did edit an anthology of, of 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 journal articles about intellectual property and property rights that was published by um, the publisher um, uh, Edward Elgar. Where the, where could that be found? Um, it's 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 uh, you, you, you you it can be found in libraries and and um, and and uh, it can be ordered online. I think it's very expensive because it's an academic book. Cause it's an anthology. It was published in 2013, and again, it's called Intellectual Property and Property Rights. Okay. Um, and it's and it contains all of kind of the leading scholarship on patents, copyrights, trademarks, um, as as property rights and what that means. Uh, both kind of historically and doctrinally and conceptually. That's a little bit more advanced for people, uh, for if people who are looking for more kind of the advanced level reading. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, last question is, what are your top three tips for young inventors out there? What would be your tips for them uh, if they're thinking about inventing or in the process of inventing? 
Oh, that's a that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, for young inventors today, of course, you know, <clears throat> I think a, a big um, a big mistake that a lot of young inventors make is that they is that they disclose their inventions, they talk about their inventions, or they share their ideas too early with other people. Yeah. Um, you have to be, so it's very important to keep your invention secret. Um, you know, there are rules in the patent system about how if you disclose your inventions too soon before you actually get your patent or apply for a patent, then you lose your patent right. So um, I, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me and say, I have a great invention. I say, stop. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me anything because if you say something, it, it, you know, it can cause problems for you. So uh, I think one thing is you know, make sure you keep, you know, keep your invention secret. The other thing is get a good lawyer. Um, you know, they really can help you. Um, make sure that you, you know, uh, you know, are doing the right things to best secure your invention, um, and they can really maximize your opportunities for uh, for success with your invention once you get a patent on it. Or ultimately, if you choose some other route to protect it, either through, for instance, trade secret or a trademark, as you said, you've gotten trademarks or other ways yeah. that you can secure the values that you've created. Do you have some um, uh, some in mind that you would suggest lawyers out there or firms? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't like to give out general recommendations because then that that then that puts me on the the hook <laughs> as kind of warranting their work yeah. generally. But uh, and you know and it varies from area to area. What'd be the um, vice but, to find a per, a good patent lawyer? I mean, what what should you uh, ask? I, my 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 advice would be, you know, it is hard because you know lawyers play such a key role for representing your interests, and yet how do you right? How do you find them? How do you determine who they are? And yeah. my recommendation is. Uh, for for finding a lawyer, there are lots of services out there that provide kind of ways to talk, you know, to to find a find lawyers. Um, but um, but uh, the best way to I, one of the things you should always do is talk to other people um, exactly. who've used those lawyers. Um, because of course, lawyers will say, "Oh, I'll represent your interests and I'll do the best thing." But the, you know, but there's nothing better. Just you know, this is why Angie's List exists for all the other services and things like that. You know, uh, hearing from real people saying, "Yeah, this guy, he or, or this woman really did the best in protecting my invention." Um, you know, that that is the because this is a service industry, and so exactly. you really want to hear from the people who've been serviced by them in and in, 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 in have had their rights protected. Yeah, I've I've been lucky enough to find a great patent lawyer and uh, a couple actually, but uh, just yeah. curious what you had had. So one more. Yeah. What, so I mean, so reach out to yeah, reach out to you know the trade associations like Edison Nation and others, and find to see if you could talk to people about what you know if they have lawyers and things of that sort that can represent your interests. Yeah. Do you have one more tip? Well, the other uh, so um, and the other tip is you know uh, is is really related to the point I just made, which is, you know, don't always think automatically that patent is the way to go. I mean, patents certainly are there to protect new inventions, um, but we what we have is an, is an intellectual property system. We have lots of different intellectual property rights that protect the different types of values and new innovative creations that are coming out. We have patents, you have copyrights, you have trademarks, we have trade secrets. And so, and this is, again, another way that a lawyer can really help you is that, you know, sometimes... A patent is not necessarily the most uh, efficient, best way to protect an invention. Sometimes a trademark can be better. Sometimes a trade secret can be better. And so you really, you really want to make sure that you're not thinking solely in terms of patents. Patents are good for certain types of inventions, um, certainly. But, but other types of innovations and creations, um, you know, it may not necessarily be the best route. And so, um, and so you should always think very, you know, don't think very broadly about all of the different menu options you have in the law to best secure your rights. Great stuff, bud. Hey, where can people find you if they want to find everything you got going on? Well, well, thank you. That's a, <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't provide actual legal services. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm now a, now I'm now a law professor and, 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 and someone who's engaged in the, in the policy debates, but, um, but I, but I, but I, founded and, and running an intellectual property center called the Center for the Protection of Intellectual Property, whose purpose is to identify, um, you know, and, and, and explore through rigorous research and data-driven work, kind of the value and benefits of patent innovation, copyrighted creativity, and other types of values that are secured by the intellectual property system. And there's lots of interesting resources. We do conferences and whatnot. Um, on our website, uh, it's uh, it, it goes by our acronym CPIP, C P I P. 
www.gmu.edu, or if you just Google Center for the Protection of Intellectual Property at George Mason, um, you'll find our website. There's lots of good research there. There's, um, as I said, there's a blog posting there where I have all these books I, rec- I-, I listed that I've read that I've enjoyed, um, among other work that relates to some of the issues we've talked about with respect to the legislation um, and other things. Um, and, you know, you can reach out to our scholars if, if you're, you know, if, if you're looking for rec- references for, uh, for lawyers or something of that sort. I can't always promise I can provide one, but I, you know, yeah. but, you know, that's one of the ways you can try to prov- uh, find those things. But, um, but, um, but that's, you know, that's the type of, that's where I'm putting my specializa- specialized uh, capabilities and skill sets right now is trying to make sure that people like you, Brandon, and the listeners of your shows and, and other inventors and innovators are getting kind of the, the support that you need uh, in the broader debates to be able to, to therefore have the freedom and protections necessary to do the work that you're, the great work that you're doing. Well, hey, anybody listening, I'll, I'll be sure to post that on our notes, but check that stuff out. Hey, I really appreciate it. I get a lot of this show, and I'm sure the listeners did too, Adam. Thank you. I Really, thank you for coming on the show. It was great. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This was a great discussion. Those are great questions you asked, Brandon. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun for me. And, and, and you know, and, and, and I really want to thank you as an inventor. I mean, you are doing noble, great work. Um, you know, like I said, you are following in a long line tradition of, of great people who are responsible for, for the amazing lives we live today. We live miracle lives today, even compared to what the lives that we were living 20 or 30 years ago. And it's because of great innovators and inventors such as yourself. So thank you. Hey, I appreciate it, man. And I'm, I'm hoping to spread the word to support the inventors out there because a lot of people don't know where to go or what to do. And I mean, three years ago, I didn't know anything about it, but now I do, and I'm here to spread the word and help them out there. And hey, if you got any way to get me into Congress, I mean, up to Washington, I'll go speak my word because I believe in the whole patent system, and I want to protect our rights, everybody else out there that can't speak for it, who have a patent trademark, because we are the people that build this country. We are the backbone of this country. That's excellent. You're right, and so I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely see about you know giving your name to the to various organizations and people out there who uh, who um, who do you know who do the, the lobbying efforts and stuff because they'll want to definitely have resources such as yourself at hand. So well, thank hey, you. Well, hey, thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, hey, you have a great day, bud. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And you know what time it is? It's time to go out there. Create something great and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Brandon Adams. Have a great day, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I really had a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking with Adam about the patent law and everything going on, and especially the Innovation Act, HR 9. Now, If you can, go to your nearest uh, inventors group, check everything out, and do whatever you can to put your word out against this act. Because if this gets passed, it is going to hurt us. It's going to hurt the inventor, entrepreneurs. It's going to discourage entrepreneurship and innovation. And us young inventors and entrepreneurs are the backbone of this country. I mean, just take a look around. You look at your computer. uh, For me, this microphone or a camera, anything around you has a patent on it and at one time it was a small inventor that came up with that idea so if you take away the the stronghold if you weaken the patent it's gonna hurt all of us and it'll kill innovation so we don't want that so you can check out all my notes on my page that's www.brainandtadams.com and there you can see all the notes about this show additional notes on it and also I actually just launched this um, free webinar. We had it today, but you can replay it. It's on the show notes there. I talk about how to turn your idea into reality. So I go from the idea in your head, you write it down on a piece of paper, and the process taking it all the way to the market. And then I go into detail about crowdfunding as well, which has changed the way people have taken products to market. So check that out, free webinar. And also there's an opportunity for you to sign up for a four-week course that will put you and your product through an extensive amount of thinking and be able to turn you and your idea into reality. So check that out. And the last thing I got, you guys all know I love promoting other people and helping them out. 
uh, my great friends, uh, Jeff Amrine and the crew they have there at Startup Junkie Consulting. You look at episode five, it's called Startups and How to Get Investment with Jeff Amrine. One of the top shows we've had so far. Everybody's loved it. They are in a competition right now to get a grant. It's a $100,000 grant, and they need votes. I think they need 100 or 250 votes. So I would appreciate it if you guys just take the time, spend, take a couple minutes. I'll have it linked on the page, or you can actually go to their Facebook page, Startup Junkie Consulting, and click on the link and just press vote. That's all you got to do. And if you help them, when they'll get that funding and this company what they do is they help entrepreneurs out with developing their idea or their business and going to market and they don't charge anything and I believe in that that's this podcast I don't charge anything I just help you guys give you free info they're doing the same thing that I'm doing I believe in them and your simple vote taking a few minutes of your time will help them get the funding they need so they can help more people like you so I appreciate you guys. I love you. The support is awesome. I'm excited for what's to come. We have some great shows. I'm not going to tell you all the details, but it is going to be crazy. Let me tell you. That's it for today's show. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable. Because life is too short not to. I'm Brandon Adams. Have a great day, everybody.